0: Hi, everybody, and welcome once again to another episode of Politico with Juan Callao Diaz. I am your host, Juan Callao Diaz, and today I am talking to Lave. Um, Lave, you are Captain Iron Leg, right?
1: Yeah. Ahoy, matey. Uh, Captain ah, Leif right. Ironleg here.
0: So uh, let me just ask you to begin. And can you talk to me a little bit about you, um, Captain uh, Lave, What do what you do? What's, um, you know, everything about you or whatever you want to share about you?
1: most certainly i'm a queer pagan anti-fascist educator Uh, i'm a trans man i've been living my best life as a man for almost a decade now Uh, i kind of got my start um, actually in opera and early music uh, back when i was in high school and pursuing my college degree Uh, i got a degree in classical music performance and early music uh, that is to say like music history renaissance middle ages i did a really weird niche uh, capstone thesis project about how the black death changed religious and secular music throughout europe and uh of course predictably did absolutely nothing with that kind of job hopped and uh basically just did as much career work as I needed to in order to make my anti-fascism happen. Anti-fascism is my passion and my purpose. And uh, I've been a member of a lot of different leftist organizations, um, been involved in a lot of different niche hobbies. I always come back around to anti-fascism, though.
0: Yeah, which is the reason why we're uh, here today. So let me... um... With that, jump to my first question, which it is, can you define, uh, explain antifascism? You know, um, people who might not be familiar with this, they don't know exactly what antifascism is. You hear, you know, you hear the word fascism and antifascism like a lot around, but we don't know. I mean, when I say we, I mean people. <laughs> I know what it is, but uh, people don't know exactly what um, fascism may be or, you know, where it comes from.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So anti-fascism is about 100, 110-year-old political tradition. It started in Italy, as did fascism. Um, And when I answer this question, I like to define fascism because there are a lot of really silly ideas in our society about what fascism actually is. Uh, Fascism is a pseudo-revolutionary, ultra-nationalist ideology which seeks to shore up the defenses of a capitalist state in response to a crisis, usually some kind of economic or political crisis. It promises a return to the utopian glory of a mythologized and idealized past, the perceived loss of which is understood to have been caused by dangerous degrading outside forces. So fascism uses class collaboration to enact a project of violence and terror that will allegedly restore the utopian glory of the state uh, or of the nation. It mobilizes the most reactionary segments of the working class in partnership with the ruling class of the state and thereby reinforces the state's defenses and upholds the capitalist system and all of its repressive hierarchies. So the fascist movement centers the nation, frames the nation as the center of an existential struggle against malevolent outside forces And those forces are almost always a scapegoated other, Uh, be it queer people or Jewish people. The fascist state promises that, you know, by persecuting this other and by restoring the nation, we're going to make everything good again. Anti-fascism then is basically the political position that that ain't going to fly. It's an illiberal, no tolerance approach to addressing the problem of fascist movements as they emerge in a society. Literally any action or organizing that directly opposes fascism without relying on intervention by the state is anti-fascism. And of course, when they talk about, quote, Antifa on the news, they're usually making it out like there's some central organization and they're showing a bunch of protesters wearing black Um, engaging in fights with police or with far-right groups and while I've certainly gone toe-to-toe with police and far-right groups and I've certainly turned out clad all in black that's just a tiny little fraction of what anti-fascism is there's no central organization anybody can put a group of people together and call themselves anti-fascist any individual can be anti-fascist
0: yeah and I know like you know with the antifa thing, um I and I'm pretty sure I have seen you in it there is this website called the antifa watch um yeah yeah and i I made it to it myself. Uh, I have three different profiles because every single one of them has something new. they have one with my middle name, one with my first name um first last name, and then one with my full name um, they didn't and- consolidate them all in one nope, no, they're all in three different profiles um one of them uh nicknamed me the antifa a protester who dresses up because i regularly go to <laughs> protest with like my regular like clothes when i'm outside of the house um dress up shirt my i dress up in black every day i literally had to tow black like dress every day it's my signature color i guess i'm like a cartoon character I just change my ties but <laughs> every protest i also wear a black tie right so there's the one from before then there is a uh, machete boy because I pull a machete on one um the Cleveland agitators like fascists who it's now dead
1: um, oh that's metal
0: so yeah is and he then, dead
1: cuz you chopped him with your machete no <laughs> that would have that would
0: have <laughs> been hilarious no he died of cancer in jail uh, to my knowledge but i don't know exactly how that one uh, 100% is uh true or not that's what i heard so um and The third one is the Westworth, Ohio one, which is, um, the rainbow one, uh, which is me with the rainbow
1: suit. That's kind of wild that they gave you three entries. Should we explain Antifa watch for your listeners? I I found that a lot of people are not familiar with it.
0: Yeah. If you want to go ahead, like I, I can explain part of it, but I'm not hundred percent more familiar with it. I think you might be more familiar than me.
1: Yeah. It's basically a shit list website. It's, um. It kind of rides the line of what is legally considered doxing. So they, um, they're they not technically a doxing website because they don't give out certain information that isn't public, uh, such as addresses. But it's basically a doxing website without going all the way to technically be doxing. It was started uh, in 2020 in response to uh, basically in response to the BLM protests that kicked off in May and June. Uh, I'm kind of amazed that I didn't end up on there after my arrest in 2020. But at any rate, they so a bunch of right-wingers purchased this domain, Antifa Watch, and they just started keeping a record of anybody they could get info on who was arrested at a BLM protest, who has self-identified publicly as anti-fascist, If you've been arrested at an anti-fascist thing or you've been arrested at a BLM thing or you have been charged with any anti-fascist related activity that the state considers criminal, you're likely to end up on Antifa watch. And when I got arrested uh, pertaining to this issue with Wadsworth, that was when they threw my info up there, along with my dead name and um, some pretty wild accusations but the the whole goal of it is to, well, it's twofold. It's to incite stochastic violence against the people who are listed and also to kind of shame and frighten people into silence. So when I got out of jail from this really brief arrest and my, one of my friends told me that I was up on this website, I kind of thought to myself, oh, they're expecting me to, uh, to hide and be scared now that they've done this okay challenge accepted i'm gonna be so loud they're gonna regret ever messing with me
0: well i'm and, not gonna uh, lie to you the first the first time i made it was like right in 2020 like i was right on the antifa side so it's freaking hilarious i made it to there like right after the protests and I wouldn't be surprised if they have like photos of like twelve year old me probably protesting in Rochester, New York for Black Lives Matter. Um, I wouldn't doubt that they have photos of me like all that and call me like uh, like an antifa since back since back then, like way way back.
1: They'll archive anything they can that's legal to archive. They've they've got a whole slew of photos of me in Black Block at various events, and um, even claiming that I'm somebody who hurts kids even through their fascist lens they, they kind of make me sound badass like it really reads more like a subversive resume than a docs yeah it's close to um not really close
0: to it but it's kind of like i don't know if you ever heard of the canary project so it's yeah. like a website that targets like palestinians or like anti-israel like people and kind of puts them so it's kind of close yeah. but the only thing is then the canary project goes a little like too in depth into the person where Antifa just throws like the Antifa Watch just throws like main info that you can find anywhere in the internet and some like records from court. But those the other ones go like the Canary Project goes on like where you work at and mm-hmm. like your your job's number, your boss's like name.
1: Yeah, the Canary mission goes really over the top and they're a lot better organized and more professional. Antifa Watch will basically just publish whatever gets submitted, they don't fact check it or anything. I don't think they've like last I checked, they actually have my Instagram handle spelled wrong.
0: Yeah, I think they have like. I, well, I have a couple of Instagrams accounts. So I'm assuming they have like probably one or the other. But yeah, that's the Antifa Watch, um, and you know, like we both made it um, during the Wasworth like situation. I also made it to theirs as the last uh, record. They have of me. They have great photos of me. Um, that's actually why I got all the photos that I posted
1: online. So, yeah, funny me story. Too. I got a ton of the photos that I use on my personal website, on my socials. A ton of them are photos that the fash took of me. Like, okay, I, I I'll, know that like, free it's photography
0: need to be photographers.
1: <laughs> well, one of them is an, a professional photographer, to my understanding. Yeah, one like they the just—they
0: just, just need to like stop protesting like this little bullshit that they have going on and um become photographers. I think they'll be good at it. So let me um ask you with that um let's you know jump in a little bit and talk about uh wasworth um for a little bit here um here you, know, you have a group of people that have been talking about you since um the drag story hour that happened at Wasworth, Ohio um mm-hmm. the situation you know there's been some reoccurrences um like social media emails et cetera, and all that stuff, so let me ask you, how do you end up defending um track story hours track shows um and what like how did you end up at the one in wasworth um ohio specifically
1: that's a great question i was asking that uh, myself all damn day (laughs) no uh, in all seriousness i started doing anti-fascism um kind of as a personal study um right around 2017 when i saw the shit that went down in Charlottesville with that Unite the Right protest, I became really passionately interested in trying to learn everything I could about anti-fascism and the history of anti-fascism, as well as left politics in general, Uh, because I noticed reviewing a lot of the news coverage from that day, um, you know, these people clad in black with like, baseball bats and sticks and chains and stuff were physically intervening in situations where these fascist gangs were trying to beat up clergy, trying to beat up passers-by, in particular targeting minorities. And I was like, I've got to find out more about these people. I've got to learn more about this. And at that time, I was under the impression that there was some kind of organization that needed to come tap me and initiate me or whatever. So And the more I learned, the more I realized that was not the case. And that really those people just choose to do that and they go out and do that. So I started training and studying to do that. And then right around 2020, um, I was finally coming into my own and feeling like I was ready to hit the ground. And sure enough, the BLM protests kicked off in May and June of 2020. I got laid off from a relatively comfortable office job with a pretty decent severance uh, and a non-disparagement agreement but anyway i had enough money to basically just dive into these protests for a hot second and do nothing else and we did a lot of defending protesters from police a lot of defending protesters from right-wing gangs in particular the boogaloos um, they've kind of dissolved and filtered into other organizations but the boogaloos and the proud boys were both very prominent in terms of who was opposing the protests in 2020. So I kind of cut my teeth on that. And then I got arrested in 2020 when an out of control cop came at me. Um, I think the video of it is still up on Reddit. If you search, um, I think it's like Columbus medic dragged in street by police. I don't know why they thought I was a medic. They just assumed that. I think maybe because I was trying to help somebody when they came at me, but either way, once i was arrested and you know met some people inside the jail spent three days kind of cooling off and making new friends on the inside it really solidified my politics and not just my commitment to my anti-fascism but to leftist politics and subversive politics in general and from that point on uh, i basically just adopted the old slogan of anti-racist action which yeah. was Where we go, they go. And pretty much any time I heard about fascist activity, I would try to do something to mess it up, which usually ended up in me and whoever I could get to join me, uh, dressing up all in black and hitting the ground running. And then that all kind of came to a head in Columbus in December of 2023. No, excuse me, December of 2022. Yeah, it was the Christmas time of 22, when the Proud Boys managed to get a drag story hour shut down in Columbus. It was in a really progressive neighborhood called Clintonville. It was being held at a Unitarian church, and the church got totally freaked out and canceled the whole event. And the Proud Boys, of course, still came into town, and they had Patriot Front in tow. They had a bunch of street preachers. They had that crusty crusader who shows up to everything. They had pretty much everybody who was at Wadsworth showed up in Columbus and there was no drag show to attack. They succeeded in getting it shut down. So they just basically threw a little fascist party in the street for a few hours, made the neighborhood living hell for everybody who was just trying to go about their business. And for the first time, I got to see some really exciting organic anti-fascism. And what I mean by that is just people in the neighborhood looking out their windows and going, what the fuck is going on? Why are there are a bunch of Proud Boys and other white supremacists throwing a party in the street. I'm going to go yell at them. So then these organic anti-fascists and the formal anti-fascists like myself and my friends at the time, we, all, we just kind of merged and were just enough people to, I don't want to say foil their plans because their plan was basically just to have a party in the street and they did but we at least managed to mobilize enough people that they didn't have full control of the day. So then moving forward from there, this particular group, this particular alliance of anti-queer orgs was on my radar. Then me and my friends were keeping track of drag shows, drag story times, things like that, that were being threatened. And that's how Wadsworth came up. We saw coverage of The wadsworth situation in i think it was the buckeye flame and the akron beacon journal Uh, both outlets were reporting on the fact that there was this drag story time that was receiving threats that had to change venues um, and that the organizer aaron reed i know now but the organizer was really digging his heels in and refusing to be intimidated and The situation just kept escalating, the parasol patrol got involved, they were flying in from like, I think it was Colorado, some of them were coming out from. It sounded like it was turning into a really huge thing. And we decided we needed to be there to help. We had direct experience with a lot of the individuals and organizations. And um, like I said earlier, where we go, they go.
0: Absolutely, and you know, this uh, it's kind of like you our stories start kind of like they collate like because pretty much that's how I heard about Wasworth. Um then I had Aaron contact uh someone that I knew, and that person contacted me, and then I got involved. Um it comes to be then that person now um pretty sure was on the opposite side. He was the former or he claims he was a former book boy. Um, um they're now called the Fiesta Boys, I think, or whatever. Racist What's name. is that that was Zach, yes. Um, mm-hmm. So whatever <laughs> they, they want to call their um, their little group. Um, so, and you know, all these groups were there. I they, I never expected, Um. you know, in mid 2023, I never expected to see Nazis, KKKs, like whatever they call themselves, Patriots, but they're really not, they're just a bunch of fascists. Um, and you know, they're all literally the same, just in one area. I was like, holy shit, I never expected to see this. And I don't know if you've ever seen, um, I'm really huge with comics and superheroes and stuff. There's this comic called Crisis on Earth X, which is Earth X is pretty much Nazi populated. Like they win World War II and whatever. And they, like the Nazis pretty much take over. And there Mm -hmm. is um, the Ray, which is pretty much a freedom fighter. Um, The first comic was a freedom fighters and the Ray. Mm -hmm. And they pretty much just fight. And I was like, shit, this is going to be like one of those scenes. When I arrived there and it's like, these people arrive, I'm like, fuck. Like everybody's going to start, I got crazy. and then the Nazis arrive, which is like, holy shit. Like I never thought I would see swastikas and hell Hitler people Mm. like in 2023. I was like, I heard of neo-Nazis. Never thought I would see them in person. I mean, and nonetheless, Ohio, like Ohio, it's in between liberal and like, you know, a little bit of a like conservative, but.
1: Mm. It's interesting. You should mention that because like, When you look at the history of fascism, I mean, first, I want to point out that patriotism and fascism go hand in hand. It always centers the nation. I want to quote Mussolini here, literally the OG fascist. He said, um, oh, shoot, where did I put that quote? Basically, he said, the myth of the nation is the center of this project. Everything else is subservient to it. It is all about centering the nation, making a victim narrative for the nation and working people up in their patriotism, making them want to make America great again, making them want to make Germany great again, make Italy great again.
0: Exactly, Um, and
1: and then in Sorry, um, in reference to Ohio in particular, Ohio is the perfect place for fascists to come in and recruit and organize, and it has become the fascist organizing hub of the Midwest, like Proud Boys, Patriot Front, neo-nazis from all the other midwest states and from new york and pennsylvania all come and meet in ohio because ohio is in this really weird situation where there used to be a lot of prosperity here we used to have a ton of factory jobs ton of steelwork jobs car and tire related jobs really great fucking jobs where you could come out of high school get A really decent salary, decent living, get a station wagon and a ranch house and have your wife and 2.5 kids or whatever. All of that has fallen away. We're in a situation now where those jobs have either gone overseas or the unions have been busted. And people want an explanation. They want somebody to blame because most Americans don't have a solid class analysis to help them understand. This is the ruling class that's doing to you this to you. This is the capitalist class that is taking away your jobs, taking away your unions, and making you suffer. People don't have that analysis, so they become really vulnerable to ideas like, it's actually the globalists who are doing this to you. It's the queers who are doing this to you. We have a scapegoat for you to blame for the degradation of the nation. You just have to help us go after that scapegoat.
0: That is exactly what they do. They have to find someone to blame for it, and they just look for the first person. And you know, like this is, you know, go back, going back to uh, words. This is exactly what happened. They were looking for someone to blame, and they, uh, they just figured out. And uh, we were the people. So you know, we have heard the story from the media. The media has their own way to twist uh, mainstream media to twist some things and make it um, to their advantage. Um, most of, I mean, immediately the UK, my friends, and and the UK were texting me and asking me like, "You got arrested because the title of their you know, of their like article was three protesters arrested pretty much mm-hmm. um and we have seen like you know there was some um, court cases that was things happening, so let me ask you, what is your side of the story from that situation um like things that you have heard um I have heard from other people the, the, um things that have happened, we have seen it in the podcast, we have heard from it in the podcast myself, um as I mentioned in the past, there's emails there's Social media, I mean, some of these fascist people are online and they're TikToks talking shit about this and looking at their way, how they're like Superman in the Cape, pretty much um, acting like they're the big heroes when they were the ones that were wrong. So what's your side of the story of that situation?
1: I'm so glad you asked. Now, I have to be really careful because some of the the individuals who I allege to be fascists, <laughs> I, I have to be really careful how I word this. Um, Some of these individuals who I allege to be fascists have proven to be very quick to make litigious threats. Um, So I'm going to use aliases for significant individuals. And I'm sure your regular viewers and people who are familiar with the whole case can kind of connect the dots and figure out who's who. But um, I'll be using aliases of my own design. Uh, for the key players in this. So basically, me and my squad arrived in Wadsworth. We had generally a pretty good idea of what we were gonna be dealing with. We knew there were gonna be Proud Boys from all over the place. We knew they were bringing people in from out of state. Anytime the Proud Boys are there, we know that Patriot Front is probably gonna show up, always late, always marching in formation, always getting called feds by the Proud Boys. We had a general idea of what it was gonna be like, but we got there and the Proud Boys were posted up in pretty much every parking lot already. They were all over this park, like flies on rotten meat, right? And they they had a whole bunch of other groups with them, the Cleveland Street Preachers Collective, uh, Anti-Groomer Action, Project 171. That, that's a one of many fronts organized by an individual named Don Moody who's been associated with Bikers for Trump and who tried to organize a a failed event this past J6. Um, Of course, Patriot Front showed up late. Um, The neo-Nazi group calling themselves Blood Tribe showed up late. Um, One of the first things that happened was a bunch of the volunteers saw a whole group of Proud Boys coming over the hill. They got spooked and they peaced out. They just headed home. So, already the anti fascists were outnumbered at this event, but then that compounded the issue. So, that left me one of the only people in true black block. And some of these people who peaced out were actually supposed to be armed like I was. So, you know, and I'm sure I'll be sending you some photos, but you know, I was in full kit, full black block, full face mask, body armor. Done. I had my knife on me to scrape their little stickers. I had a baton. Um, I, I had the whole kit. I basically looked like a ninja, right? And everybody else who was supposed to be like that with me went kind and of. Split. I just wanted to
0: jump in really quick and say, like, kind of if you look back at like my first arrest, kind of like how I was, I had a trench coat, but I had like
1: mm-hmm.
0: the, the police started like searching and they pulled things out and they were like, what the fuck? Like, I have cool. so many things on me. I was an Arsenal pretty much that one protest, but kind of yeah. like you were ready for anything that happened.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was trying to be ready for any contingency. Uh, in my opinion, I ended up having exactly what I needed. Anyway, the event kicked off, and it, it was basically just a lady playing the guitar and singing to kids in a gazebo. And the, some volunteers surrounded the gazebo to try to create, like, a visual barrier so the kids and the performer could do their thing and then me and some of the other folks who were better equipped and more experienced like the parasol patrol folks we took up the responsibility of trying to move people in and out now there was supposed to be a police barricade keeping the protesters and the event attendees apart the police removed that barricade willingly they actively enabled the mixing of these two groups Uh, which I'm sure was by design. So these various fascists, the Proud Boys and the street preachers in particular, started harassing people as we were moving them back and forth, you know, trying to get people in from the parking lot over to the gazebo and out of the gazebo back to the parking lot. And they're really good at just kind of towing the line of legality. And of course, the police don't intervene because cops always side with fascists. Historically and presently, the cops are always on the side of the fascists. So the cops are just standing around and watching while the fascists- And I just
0: wanted to add, when you say, sorry to interrupt you real quick, when you say the cops, this is not just one department. This is, you have Medina County sheriff, you have Medina police, you have, wasworth police and that was berea i believe or was it was it berea? no brunswick sorry brunswick pd yeah they had highway patrol they you had, had, highway patrol. You had over they five had different departments you had yeah. like over five different departments they had columbus uh, they had they had tactical gear they had ready they had like patrols ready to to this event and they and they unsuccessfully were not able to do anything i mean they didn't even protect the people and they were there too because the organizer they- I the police to be there for their protection. They were too. able. They were able. They just chose not to. Exactly. So they, they were able to do it. They just refused to do it because right. they were, they're they never going to be on our side.
1: Right. The police as a whole, historically speaking, always side with fascists. And when fascists take control of the mechanisms of the state, this is not an opinion. This is how the history has always shaken out. The so-called good cops either quit or get the wall. That is how it goes. So we saw firsthand that the police, at worst, were enabling and actively encouraging the fascists. At best, they were just hands off. There were even plainclothes counter-terror agents from Columbus Police counter-terrorism task force there. One of them told me out of town thinking he was being all stealth. Anyway, some of these fascists in particular were very confrontational. Um, There was one major player who I'm going to call coveralls because he was running around in khaki coveralls that day. It was a real cold day. Um, He was really, really fixated on his religious fanaticism. He was calling for Yeshua and Jehovah. His pronunciations, not mine. He was calling for his deities to smite us and you know, to cast us into a lake of fire or some nonsense. At one point he followed me and a guy I was escorting to his car for like 15 minutes, just screaming his religious nonsense. He also had his child there uh, who he armed. This is a fact that was acknowledged by the court. He armed his child and was basically inciting his kid to go start fights with adults. The kid was 12 years old at the time. It was the only time I have seen a child that young brought to an event like that. Most of the fash who come to shit like this, it's a boys club, but this dude brought his wife and kid. It was a whole family affair. So he was very fixated on my escort groups. That was Um, family
0: day for them. That was their like little family, uh, family day, you know, get together unless that's a family uh, quality time.
1: Yeah. Instead of going to the, uh, you know, to the, a, a normal park or a movie or something like normal people that came and did this. Then another major player was an individual that I believe was a proud boy. If not now, then at least at the time. I'm gonna call him proud baby because he he had kind of a kind of a cute, chubby baby face. and uh, he was just screaming into his megaphone the whole day, getting up into people's faces. Trying they to got on my face, like, three
0: times and trying to assault me, so I know who you're talking about already. I didn't have an idea, but now I definitely know who you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I can show you a photo later, but I think you know the one. He he was giving straight up threats. Uh, he told me to hang myself a few times. Uh, he called for violence in a great many number of ways. Um, I had a feeling he was going to instigate some stuff, and I turned out to be right. Another major player in the whole affair turned out to be the individual I'm gonna call Krusty the Crusader. Uh, He was the only person there dressed as a Crusader. He identifies as a Crusader, which, you know, that's fine. I think that that is a sincere expression of his inner self, by which I mean, I think he sincerely wants to sack cities in the Islamic world and commit all of the atrocities of the crusades all over again. Uh, That is my personal belief about what his shtick is. I call him crusty because the dude smells like he died in the last crusade and has been decomposing since 1069 CE and then got resurrected by a necromancer and dragged his ass out to a drag show. And he doesn't even oil his armor to keep it in good condition like his chainmail is all rusty i think crusty is a great name for the crusader so these three are trying to start shit all day at one a couple of points actually crusty straight up came up to me and was like i've seen you at things you look like a worthy opponent you look like a man who's skilled in the ways of violence we should spar and of course i'm like yeah i'm busy i'm trying to do very important unpaid work over here. And this guy is like six feet tall and obstructing my view and got, he got really butthurt when I was just like, no, no, get out of my face. This all came to a head when, to, to, to kind of bring it all back home to the point. One escort group in particular was extremely vulnerable. We had a couple of parents and a whole bunch of kids. The youngest of the kids belonged to these parents. Uh, There were also some preteens who appeared to be there of their own volition. One of the parents was epileptic, um, and as some of our listeners already know, I'm sure, for some folks, epileptic seizures can be induced by stress or by panic. So, of course, it's causing panic for these folks that these fascists are pressing into our escort group, trying to start shit. One of the mothers later told me that she really, truly believed these fascists were trying to kidnap her kids. The
0: um, I'm gonna jump in there really quick for mm-hmm. you. They only weren't trying. They they actually took the step to to almost one of them grabbed one of her daughters. So I do know the mother. I actually kept in contact with her because I was the one who brought her inside of the of the barricade. And then actually mm-hmm. had an argument with the police officers about getting an ambulance in there, and they were refusing to for her. Um,
1: yeah, those those police were worse than useless. And yes, that, they were the, like the little... mom was really nice. She actually yeah, she was to... amazing,
0: amazing person. And both of her daughters—we're talking about little girls. I yeah. have to grab them both and run with them inside. Like I don't yeah, know where I got the strength to grab two like two kids. They you were know, probably like little around like four, three years old, but still like
1: and like they tried to, a little
0: they tried to rip her off her hands I know the person who did it cuz I did put a report and the police did nothing they took the baby off First. her hands it's awful like the fact is so i and she had a couple attacks like epileptic attacks like at the time and like um almost i think almost got a
1: seizure too yeah or, um, she she experienced a seizure the um the evidence one of the pieces of evidence that the police didn't destroy i'll get to that soon enough but One of the pieces of evidence that was preserved was a security camera clip from the gazebo that was pointed right at our escort party. And you can see her dog alert. You can see her go down on the ground. She had a seizure right there. So our escort party had to stop. The seizure very clearly was triggered by the fact that these fucking fascists were attacking us. So the escort party stops. All we can really do is like make a wedge formation around these folks and try to protect them. And fascists, of course, they always want to attack the weak. They always want easy fights. They know they can win. So proud baby came in, stuck his megaphone in my face, tried to hit me in the face. I block him with my baton, right? He's coming at me like this. I block him. Then he picks up the megaphone and just brings it right down on my head. I'm seeing stars. I wasn't wearing my helmet like a dumbass. I should have been wearing my helmet. But anyway, I grabbed my mace and I sprayed the motherfucker right in the eyes and the mouth. So Proud Baby got a really refreshing drink of capsaicin. And, you know, he starts crying and vomiting all over his beard. And one of the other Proud Boys is rushing him over somewhere else. Krusty the Crusader was also rushing in trying to get in on the action when he realized there was a scuffle. And he got caught in the cloud, kind of the blowback. If you look at
0: the videos from On News to Share, you can actually hear me yelling at him. Like, you got what you deserve because you got on the way when you weren't supposed to be there. So you hear me yelling at him, too, telling him. Yeah, both Status um,
1: Quo and News to Share got great footage of him just, like, spluttering and pouring water on his eyes and being like, oh, my God, I've never been nice before. Oh, my God. Oh, he was crying. There's videos of Proud Baby crying, too. So I think it's, it was amazing. The evidence photos of Proud Baby, he he still has, like, flecks of his own vomit all up in his beard. He really fucked around and found out, man. The um I don't know much about him. Um, but, you know, I do allege that he was probably a member of the Proud Boys. I have not seen him at anything since. Um, that's all I know about that. But so at that point, coveralls is coming in and threatening people again. And coveralls started alleging that his 12 year old had been maced. So the 12 year old is just standing there. He's pocket checking the weapon that his dad gave him. The dad coveralls is waving a pepper blaster that is indistinguishable from a pistol in the heat of the moment. Negligent design, in my opinion. But they start yelling at the police, oh, that that little Antifa maced my son. You better arrest him. I'm standing my ground telling the police, uh, you need to get some EMS in here right now. The police actually deleted the body cam footage of me sticking around and making sure this person got medical attention. The police deleted the body cam footage of the incident itself. Um, which is actually a Brady violation and should have gotten my whole case thrown out. Um, but at any rate, I was dazed as hell. I was literally seeing stars. And th- this is where I really screwed up. I gave the police a fake name and it was so obviously fake that I didn't even really think they were gonna take it seriously. I thought they were gonna be like, oh, come on, stop fucking around or we'll arrest you. What's your real name? But they didn't, right? So I'm just rolling with it because I didn't know this at the time, but I had a concussion. I really needed medical attention that I should have sought. And that is probably my only regret from the day is not wearing my helmet and not getting medical attention for the concussion. Um, But to my absolute shock, the police did not arrest me on site. I thought for sure they were going to arrest me. They were going to shake me down, take all my shit. They didn't. They let me get in my car and ride away. Um, the one guy uh, who I'm pretty sure was Columbus counter terror. Uh, he followed me for about two minutes. It was really easy to shake. Um, and that, I'm pretty sure that's how they ID'd me using my license plate and you know, also voice and eyes, my biometric info from my arrest in 2020. Um, but to kind of bring it all back around, Krusty the Crusader, and coveralls both made a big deal online huge stink trying to allege that i had maced this child and the story got wilder and wilder by the time it made it to antifa watch they were claiming i maced an eight-year-old um, they made a couple of accusations that i was a child groomer uh, threw out some other names and unfortunately took those down. I would have loved to sue them for libel, uh, but I think they figured out that they were giving me the perfect opportunity. Long story short, I just kind of jived and kept living my life for the next few months. Then I'm just living my life. Wadsworth is in March, mind you. And at the end of July, I get pulled over and dragged out of my car, and told that I'm being arrested on an active warrant from Wadsworth. I was like, what? That, what? that took him a while. In the In the intermediate, I had had Columbus counter-terror agents show up at my door and leave their business cards. I had had Columbus police like detain me for stupid illegal reasons, claiming it was illegal to flyer in public spaces. They were very clearly fucking with me trying to get me to escalate my situation in the meantime. I guess eventually they figured out I was smarter than them and wasn't going to give them the rope to hang me with and just decided to file the charges. Long story short, I got hauled in in July on three counts of assault and one count of falsification. So the assault charges were one for the 12 year old who was never maced, one for Krusty the Crusader who literally ran into the cloud himself, one for proud baby who fucked around and found out and then the charge of falsification, because I told an idiot cop that my name was Leon Stalin and this dumbass motherfucker didn't realize that was a fake ass name until he looked it up later. So I took an L, uh, walking into a falsification charge. He took an L admitting in a public document that he didn't realize that was a fake ass name. So, uh, We both took an L. I think it's a fair cop. The three assault charges obviously were bullshit, right? Because Ohio is supposed to be a stand your ground state. If you fear for the life of yourself or another person, if you have reasonable cause to fear for human life, you're allowed to defend yourself with lethal force. So I had coveralls waving this pocket mace at me that I thought at the time was a pistol. I had Proud Baby who had just hit me in the head with a blunt force instrument which is what the megaphone became when he chose to use it as a bludgeon. I had fucking Krusty the Crusader running in here with a sword on his belt, dressed like he's he's ready to ride off to the Holy Land. In my opinion, under the letter of the law, I would have been within my rights to empty both of my mags into Proud Baby right then and there. I did not because I couldn't be sure of what was behind him, and it would have just caused a firefight. That's why I chose the mace instead. Um, But by the letter of the law, I should never have been charged with assault. By the letter of the the law, the only actual crime I committed was falsification. But when it comes to dealing with anti-fascists, really when it comes to dealing with anybody that the state doesn't like, the law binds you but does not protect you. So they chose not to interpret the law the way it was written. They chose to, they basically decided, oh, actually, stand your ground doesn't apply to trans anti-fascists. And they charged me with assault. And uh, lucky for me, my friends were ready to answer the phone and ready to drive up to Medina County and post my bail. And I spent less than 24 hours in custody. All in all, it was Definitely the easier of my arrest experiences.
0: And that's when the court case began. I spent three days in Medina. You spent Um, three days? I I spent three days in Medina. And uh, in the past, when I got arrested for BLM protesting, I spent about a week in Cleveland for a spray painting. Yep. For an an M4, they got completely dismissed, like, in a month. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, they came Um, down hard during BLM.
0: Yeah, during BLM, they were trying to, like, get us out of the streets. And they released me the day before the presidential debate, so fuck them. They released me in the perfect time because I <laughs> went straight home, took a shower. It was, like, 4 a.m. when it was released. Got, like, an hour of sleep, and right at 5 like, or 6, I was already out there, like, getting ready with people to fuck the presidential debate as much as we could. So, mm-hmm. but with that, let me I'd go back to us for, for a second here and ask you, do you feel that the organizer, um, Aaron Reed? put any people in danger, especially children or, like, you know, people that were in there going to his defense?
1: No. Unequivocally, I think the fault for fascist violence always lies with the fascists. I think Aaron made some tactical choices that I would have made differently. His approach to organizing was different than I would have taken, but I don't think that was, like, his fault, per se. He was operating on the assumption that the police were going to do what we are told their job is, right? As an anti-fascist, I go in knowing the cops are always gonna side with the fash, the cops exist to protect property and to uphold the various hierarchies of our society, right? Aaron Reed went in under the assumption that the police are here to protect and serve. And you know I know that to be false, but I don't think it was his fault for operating on that assumption. Um, You know, it's nobody's fault that we are indoctrinated with false political consciousness in this country. Um, The fault for putting people in danger was entirely with the fascists and the cops and the other uh, forces in the town who I allege invited and supported them. I've heard a lot of criticism of Aaron Reed, and I think that under these circumstances, that's actually really unprincipled. I stand with Aaron, uh, even though I would have made some decisions differently. I think ultimately he did nothing wrong.
0: So now I'm going to ask you relating um, David Williams. He's the council president for Westworth. And, um, you know, there's about seven council people, I think, at large, Um um, if I'm correct, there was an election before this, or I think like during that time for some candidates in Wasworth also then were part of this. Do you think um, city council, like the whole council pretty much, the mayor of Wasworth and the um, staff members of City Hall had something to do with the situation? Um, did they have anything to do with the Nazis showing up, specifically Crowd boys, We saw like KKKs. Do you think they had anything to do with this specific
1: like members showing up? Um, that's a really good question. I allege that the city did not want the event to go forward. Uh, I allege that the city knew if they did not issue the permit, they would be violating the First Amendment in a way that would make them really easy to sue. Um, I do not feel that I have the evidence to allege any names beyond the name Gary Fox. What I do have is evidence that this guy, Gary Fox, who is apparently a campaign manager for some city officials, um, this guy, Gary Fox, was in close communication with Aaron Reed, uh, mocking him and arguing about the event. Gary Fox was posting on social media, making it really clear that he's an anti-gay, anti-trans bigot. Uh, I have screenshots of Gary Fox in the fascist chats collaborating with proud boys and other fascists I actually sent you a link to that uh to substantiate those claims aaron reed did give me permission to share those screenshots in which uh we'll read you some highlights here in one of them gary says that nobody is gay and nobody is trans and that they just need jesus Um, in another one gary alleges that he prayed his own gay away there's a screenshot here where Gary is if just I'm straight sure if up. I'm also correct. Mm-hmm.
0: Gary invited Aaron to his house, um, and Aaron mentioned this in his podcast episode that you can go and see. It's called "Infamous uh, Wasworth Story Hour," and in this podcast, he yeah. did invite Aaron to his house and inappropriately tried to approach Aaron while before this happened. So, so my
1: understanding. To my understanding, Aaron and Gary went to church together as kids. And you know, it's a small town, they basically grew up together. Um, so I, d- I don't know any details beyond what was in that podcast. Um, but I know I've got screenshots right here making it really clear that Gary Fox is a self-loathing queer man who has decided to project that self-loathing onto the queer community at large. I've got screenshots here of him in direct communication with the fascists. So I can say at the very least, I can very confidently allege, based on this screenshotted material, Gary Fox did collude with the FASH. It would not surprise me at all if there were other individuals colluding. The statement that was issued by the city, I I included that in the file dump in that link. The statement that was issued by the city, if you read between the lines, they're basically saying, we don't like this drag stuff either, but if we don't give him the permit, we're going to get sued. So they sounds couldn't like, stop it through like official a, means. A yeah, exactly. They couldn't stop it through official means, so they went to unofficial means.
0: Yeah, it sounds like like I, I'm reading the statement and pretty much it says, like, they understand the strong opinions and concerns on all sides of the event being, being proposed at Memorial Park. That's where uh, the story hour took place. Yeah, We are listening and we are committed to making the decision that adhered uh, to the law and ensure safety of our citizens. They did not do that. And we have to be very honest and complete 100% with that. They did not oh, yeah. ensure the like security or safety of any citizen other than yeah. the fascists on their side. Yeah, no, and on the
1: West contrary, East. I can confirm they removed the barrier that was supposed to be keeping the event safe. They chose not to protect the event attendees. There are even interviews I've watched with some of the FASH where, different individuals on the other side are straight up saying, yeah, the police removed the barrier so we could get in there and really yell at them.
0: Exactly. So yeah. So with that, let me uh, jump in and ask you, do you have any regrets on that day? Any regrets at all? Like with that specific event,
1: (laughs) I regret not wearing my helmet. I kind of half regret telling a cop that my name was Leon Stalin. Um, (laughs) For everybody listening, don't lie to the police. It is a charge unto itself. It will get you in more trouble. If I could go back and do it all again, I would have worn my helmet so that I would have been thinking clearly. And I would have just put my foot down and said, I'll give you my info after you arrest me. Um, That's really the only regret I have. I don't regret driving 100 miles to help. I don't regret, Macing a Proud Boy and making him cry and vomiting all over his beard, um, that was pretty epic. You no, know, I that I was don't like
0: epic. I do have It to was epic. That.
1: I don't like causing people pain, uh, but I don't consider fascists people. So uh, yeah, fuck around, fucking find out. And uh, the Proud Boys, the Cleveland chapter in particular, has been low key obsessed with me since then. I guess because, um, I mean, I imagine if I was a fascist and my entire ideology was built on cis male supremacy and transphobia, it would really fuck with my ego and the consistency, well, the alleged consistency of my ideology um, to see one of my buddies get completely thrashed by a five foot tall dude with no balls.
0: Yeah, and that person got to vomit over themselves. So now you mentioned that. So you, you had a court case relating this stuff. Um you went to trial,
1: if I'm correct. Um, I went all the way up to trial day. I showed up for the trial. We ended up not doing the trial. The the whole affair was a ridiculous comedy of I was about to say comedy of errors, but like the prosecution did everything on purpose. It was a farce. It was a Kafka-esque farce, and it was a perfect illustration of the contradictions inherent in our court system. It was a perfect illustration of how courts exist to uphold the actions of dirty cops and to reinforce the the um, you know the ruling class's power. They treated me as though my gear was illegal. They treated me as though I was like automatically a criminal for being an anti-fascist. And you know, that's something we expect going in anti-fascists who are educated and informed know that that's going to happen. But it was really illustrative. They offered me a shitty plea deal. They wanted me to plea uh, to a couple of assault charges to have one dropped. And I made it really clear to my lawyer, I'm not taking any plea deal that includes assault charges. I will plea to falsification because that was a stupid thing to pull, but like, I'll, I'll take that plea deal now if they'll drop all the assault charges. Um, in the long run, that's what they ended up doing. But first, we had this ridiculous back and forth where they didn't hand over the evidence at first, and then they just handed over a fraction of it we read through the police reports and my lawyer and I both noticed, oh, they're referencing body cam footage here from specific officers, multiple officers, but we only got back one body cam. So we pressed them over and over to give us this body cam footage or dismiss the case. Then eventually the prosecutor was like, um, it looks like it was purged. It was destroyed in contradiction to Wadsworth's own policy, right? Their policy says if there is body cam footage or any evidence relating to an active case, especially an active criminal case, they are supposed to preserve it from 365 days from the date it was collected. They deleted the body cam footage that was exculpatory to me. They kept the one body cam that showed me lying to the cop and scratching my head and seeing stars. They also included the um, the footage from the gazebo but in an unopenable file format we had to argue with the prosecutor about how file formats work to get him to hand it over in a format that we could open and view they had photos of me from all kinds of different anti-fascist events they had been photographing and tracking my anti-fascism for I'm gonna say, half a year at least. I think they probably had more they weren't handing over. But So we filed a bunch of motions to get photos of me at other events taken out of the proceedings, and we got that. We filed a bunch of motions to get the case dismissed because of the Brady violations, but the judge was 100% comfortable with active Brady violations on this case. And we kept pressing forward. Um, At one point... Kind of jumping back, um, I the moment I realized that I had been put up on Antifa Watch, I was like, oh, okay, two can play at that game. I made a bunch of social media accounts uh, that I decided to call Justice for Leif in Wadsworth. I assembled a bunch of my friends at, who basically formed an impromptu committee to run these social media accounts and run a fundraiser. And I just started talking about the whole situation to anybody who would listen. I interviewed with Status Coup. I interviewed with It's Going Down. Um, I interviewed with a couple other outlets that ended up not publishing my interview. I think I was a little too radical for their sensibilities. But I brought a lot of radical left attention onto this little town that they were not ready for. At one point, a student organization ended up doing a call-in campaign this and this was totally unbeknownst to me right they were just like hey we heard about this dude who has this case going let's do a call-in campaign this organization with chapters all over the country they're called the students for a democratic society all of their chapters just spent two days flooding this little office with calls being like you need to drop these false charges against leif we're using our free speech to tell you to quit messing with Leif Olson, And then when they stopped answering the phone, they just started flooding their fax machines. I think that really freaked them out. We get to the day before the trial, literally the night before at like 8 p.m., my lawyer gets an email saying they're dropping the assault charge pertaining to the 12-year-old. And you know that makes sense. Because it was really clear from the video evidence that this kid was never maced, that the dad was the coveralls was just a liar. So now I'm looking at two assault charges and one falsification. I went in ready for trial, fully expecting to go to trial. Then Krusty the Crusader walks in literally in his armor. He looks like he is ready to go lay siege to Constantinople. And coveralls comes in, dead naming me and misgendering me to the court. He's trying to convince the court that I'm having armed people show up to disrupt. I don't know where he got that idea, but he was dead naming me the whole time. So the court was like, "What? Are you, who are you talking about?" This dude was so committed to dead naming and misgendering me that he made it impossible for himself to communicate effectively. Um, my favorite site, though was Proud Baby who like started trembling when he saw me and had to like put his face in his hands. Uh, I think I gave him PTSD, um, which again, I'm very proud of because fascists are not people. Um, This is me speculating. I don't know that he got any diagnosis. I'm just speculating based on his behavior. I think for a dude twice my weight to react to me in that way There must have been some kind of trauma response. I imagine he might not have been maced before, uh, might have made an impression on him. But with the Crusader there in his armor and uh, coveralls throwing a fit, basically, in the lobby and Proud Baby looking like he is literally about to cry, I was like, you know what? Let's do this. The jury pool looked extremely old and extremely conservative, but I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Victory or Valhalla. (laughs) So no sooner did I tell my lawyer that than the prosecution comes back and is like, hey, we're going to offer you the plea deal that you asked for all along. They dropped all the assault charges on the condition that I plead to falsification and disorderly conduct. Now, obviously the fact that they pled the assaults down to one disorderly conduct is bullshit because this is a fucking stand your ground state, right? But in comparison, you know, a minor misdemeanor with a $150 fine, it's a lot better than like the possible 90 or 180 days that I could have been looking at in jail, right? So with that in mind, looking at the conservative looking jury pool and also looking at the 12 year old who is being literally yanked around by his wrist, by coveralls, his dad, the 12 year old literally looked like he wanted to crawl in a hole and disappear. And I was like, he does not want to testify in this case. In fact, his daddy's probably going to thrash him. If this case does not go their way, this is you know, me speculating on the day of um it's based on the family dynamics. I allege that there is probably physical abuse in that household. Um, anyway, based on the fact that the kid was kind of a victim in the situation, based on the fact that the jury did not look ideal, and based on the fact that I was no longer facing any assault charges, I was like, all right, you know what? I'll take the plea. They gave me a separate date uh, for a sentencing hearing in December. I showed up. Um, it was very interesting. Um, the judge chewed me out for showing up in what he called riot gear, um, which I found really irritating because if you're if you're going to go to law school and become a fucking judge, you need to learn the difference between riot gear and civilian body armor. Um, he alleged that I had a gigantic knife, which is ridiculous. I had a knife with a blade about this big uh, for scraping stickers off of walls. He chewed me out for having a gun and having body armor, all of which was legal for me to operate. He also alleged that it was disorderly for me to use mace to end the situation, which is, tell me you've never been in an altercation without telling me, right? I had reached a point where my baton was not doing the job. Opening fire would have been completely inappropriate in that situation. Like, what did he expect me to do, flip the dude? It was perfectly reasonable for me to use the mace. Um, The honorable judge was, with utmost respect to his office, full of motherfucking shit. Um, He also let coveralls get up in front of the stand. Even though the charges pertaining to coveralls had been dropped, coveralls marched his kid out and gave this long, like five minute unhinged speech where he dead named and misgendered me the whole time. He was like, oh, Miss so-and-so is mentally ill and Miss so-and-so is unhinged. And yeah, you know, he was leaning into all the tropes. I'm simultaneously a weak little woman who needs to return to God's plan for me while also being a dangerous militant who's hopped up on testosterone and is out for blood. And he was telling the judge, oh, I think, She needs to spend some time in a jail cell. I think she needs to pay me restitution money. He pulls up his phone. He's like, look at this fundraiser. She's calling me a fascist and she's raising a bunch of money for her legal defense. The judge was like, you know, I reviewed the footage. Your son was not maced. He even elaborated on his take on it, which really surprised me. The judge was like, this part was actually reasonable. I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, the honorable judge basically said, I saw two grown men crying from this mace. The effect was immediate. They could not resist it. Your kid was fine. You are a liar. You're not getting a cent. Sit down. That was very funny and satisfying. So funny and satisfying that I didn't even mind that the judge just decided it was appropriate to let this douche canoe misgender and dead name me in a court of law mind you my legal name and my gender marker have been changed for a good while like i haven't gone by my dead name in a long time um for many trans people it would have been a very triggering event it was in many ways an act of social violence for the judge to allow that to happen that being said um I'm at a point in my transition where I'm very resilient to that kind of thing. I'm a lot less bothered by that kind of thing than a lot of trans people. You kind of have to be to be an on-the-ground anti-fascist. So it was kind of vindicating because my lawyer had just been saying, this man, Coveralls, is a religious extremist. He was calling for my client's death. He was calling for my client to be cast into a lake of fire by Jehovah. Then Coveralls gets up on the stand and says, Jehovah's going to cast you into a lake of fire, basically confirming everything my lawyer has said, and uh, just making himself look like an absolute nutcase. He really thought he was going to get money out of me, and I think that was the motivation behind claiming his son was maced the whole time. So to round it all out, I was sentenced to 90 days in jail, which was deferred provided I serve two years of probation. And this was really clever, right? They put in a no contact order. They retained the victim status of the fascists. The court upholds that the fascists who attacked me are all victims. Proud Baby, the 12-year-old, and Krusty the crusader are all on this no contact order, which only goes one way. I can't contact them. They're free to contact me. If they would just let bygones be bygones, that'd be fine with me. I would just as soon never hear from any of these bastards again. And I do think the 12-year-old, the kid, was a victim in this situation, though not in the way the court is pretending. But by upholding the victim status of these fascists, making it so that it is illegal for me to be at any event where they are at, the court has basically created a situation where I cannot do on the ground anti-fascism in the state of Ohio for the next two years, because Krusty the Crusader shows up to everything. And anytime uh, my probation officer made it really clear, if I'm out in public, be it a protest or even just the grocery store, if Krusty the Crusader is there, if any of the fash are there, I'm supposed to leave. The burden is on me to leave. Um, they were not expecting me to be so good at organizing that i can be just as disruptive while never leaving my couch and i have continued to be and it is really really grinding their gears um but yeah that's where things stand i am on probation and the fascists are big mad that they didn't get any money and i didn't do any time in jail all things considered i basically walked away with a slap on the wrist because the community came out for me in solidarity Oh, shit. Speaking of the the community coming out, another thing I forgot to mention was that the court lied and claimed we didn't submit a witness list in time. They failed to deliver a whole bunch of subpoenas. They did not expect that all of my witnesses were going to show up voluntarily anyway. The Unitarian minister who was there showed out for me. The mom of the kids who we were defending showed out for me. A whole bunch of other anti-fascists showed out for me i had a bunch of witnesses on my side and the court tried really hard to suppress them uh didn't work though
0: yeah because they they try i mean they i when my whole thing happened i needed to go and like testify i didn't get a subpoena like i literally didn't get shit to i got a call like four days before letting me know like, hey, we sent you a subpoena and I don't know if you got it, you haven't called us. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't get it, but whatever, I'll show up still, um, you know. But, you know, moving on now from Wasworth, let's uh put Wasworth a little bit behind now. Let me ask you a little bit about you here. How did you become an anti-fascist? And like, you know, you mentioned a little bit of it. Uh, Can you go in depth a little bit of how that happened and how it started?
1: Yeah, so in a sense, I think I was always an anti-fascist. I've always had a really what I would describe as a very uncompromising internal moral compass. Um, I have just always felt like I know injustice when I see it. I know right from wrong when I see it. And then as a kid, my parents gave me literature for kids about the holocaust and about world war ii i grew up in a small town adjacent to cincinnati so there was a very strong thriving jewish community around you know in the areas around me uh my dad worked for a jewish family who were really nice and treated him really well uh, as their employee throughout his career on the other side of things i was being raised in this nasty little podunk where people are dropping the k-word for jewish people all the time people are dropping the n-bomb all the time and i think my parents wanted my mother specifically wanted to kind of inoculate me against that racism and against that anti-semitism so she gave me books about it uh, that were geared toward my age group one of them in particular uh, was a novel by lois lowry called number the stars It is a children's novel, but it can be read by adults. It's written on two levels, much like The Giver is. And it is a meticulously researched historical fiction piece about a little girl whose parents are working for the Danish resistance. The Danish resistance figured out really quick they did not have the manpower to literally fight the Nazis. So they basically organized themselves into an underground railroad smuggling Jewish people out of Denmark into Sweden. And they were so fucking good at it, they managed to get 92% of the Jews in Denmark to safety. Absolutely fucking Chad level shit, superb anti-fascism. And this book was really well-written. It was from the point of view of a little girl. Her best friend was Jewish. She was smuggling her friend out of the country to say goodbye forever. And even writing from the point of view of this little girl, the author made it really clear, these are life and death stakes. This shit really happened. This shit could happen again. And sometimes people have to risk everything to not be motherfucking fascists, right? So this idea that this was something fucking real was always present in my mind growing up. And I always really internalized this uh, what would I do sentiment anytime we were studying fascism. So when 2017 rolled around and I saw the Unite the Right rally, watched the footage from that, it was really clear to me, okay, this shit is happening again. The And the real fascism I came to learn is not in any individual like Trump. The real fascism is in the machinations of the state, and the state's class collaboration with the most reactionary segments of the working class, which we saw at Charlottesville. So moving forward from there, I just started reading everything I could. Of course, I started with like Jason Stanley, Umberto Eco, the liberal stuff that just like makes lists of characteristics without really analyzing what fascism is and how it works. Um, Started studying, you know, how to handle a firearm, how to handle mace, the real fundamentals. And from there, I started getting into some anarchist writings on fascism, some Marxist writings on fascism, started getting an actual analysis of fascism from people with an actual class consciousness, people who actually understand how fucking politics work. And by the time I was really, really wrapping my head around what fascism is and how it functions, not just what it looks like, but how it functions in relation to the state and the economy. Um, by the time I had wrapped my head around all that, it was time to hit the ground, and I was ready.
0: Thank you. That um, that goes in depth. I don't. I don't know if I'm like I am an anti-fascist, but I don't know if I'm, I'm as in depth as you are. I will say, um, I you know, I do the events, I do the protests, I absolutely fight fascism and have been arrested a couple of times for fighting fascists. But I don't know if I was like in depth as like, you know, having all that knowledge and stuff. So I will say, I know who to call when I have a
1: question. <laughs> so- yeah, even among anti-fascists, I'm something of an anomaly in that this isn't just something I do. It's my whole fucking personality. And a lot of people cannot handle that. Like I don't get invited to a lot of parties, which I'm fine with, because I would rather be reading the latest analyses by Adorno, right? But a lot of even anti-fascists in the U.S. are just like not prepared for the level of intensity that I bring to this.
0: Well, when I was working on uh, creating a bio for this podcast, I kind of used myself because I cannot sit down on a table without speaking politics to someone. So I call it like, like the intro to it was like, are you one of those people that cannot sit at the dinner table without speaking politics and like getting kicked oh, out? Yeah. Like, I got banned from Thanksgiving one year for my family because I brought so many politics that my mother just said, "Like, hey, like, show up later, don't show up <laughs> like at all." And then she kind of like unbanned me, but still, like, it was funny because they didn't want the politics, and it's like my whole life revolves around me. Like, I, I've also been uninvited from places for just speaking politics. So,
1: yeah, yeah that's, I, that's I see thing. everything as political. Everything is political. Anybody claiming that anything is apolitical is being incredibly political just by claiming that. Exactly. I I uninvited myself from Thanksgiving a few years ago when I realized, like, oh, the first Thanksgiving was actually a celebration of a massive massacre of indigenous women and children. I don't think I can do this anymore, guys. I
0: started getting uninvited from different Thanksgiving's when I started bringing it up, like... The meaning behind the holiday the same thing like i i pretty much i attempt to like to ruin things for people uh mm. like your horrible like holidays i like to like ruin them so
1: and oh, yeah. to, like
0: show them the realistic part of it and they people hate me for it
1: <laughs> dude there is this one incident i will never forget where my mom was making breakfast for christmas day and you know i'm a fucking pagan i don't even give a shit about christmas i was just trying to in enjoy breakfast and I'm just trying to have a conversation. She brings out the oatmeal and I see the Quaker Oats container on the counter. I'm just trying to have a fucking conversation. I'm like, hey, did you know uh, during the 1940s and 50s, the United States government in partnership with Quaker Oats fed Quaker Oats laced with plutonium to a bunch of developmentally disabled kids to see how it would affect their growth over the course of their lives. And they told their parents they were participating in a science club whole family goes silent and looks at me and is like, (laughs) what? (laughs) Nothing will clear a room faster than talking about the shit the government has done that they themselves admit in declassified docs, man. That just sounds, that just sounds like something that I would do at breakfast. (laughs) <laughs> oh, so, and if any of your yeah. listeners don't believe me go fucking look it up they fed oatmeal laced with plutonium to developmentally disabled kids look it it's up the, it's the American
0: government what, I mean if you, if you don't believe it then you, you, should, you should do some research on the American fucking government For and real. then you'll find it so let me ask you what are strategies that uh, queer anti-fascists use to combat fascism what are the main uh, challenges that you face? And how do you oppose those challenges, um, far-right movements, and systemic oppression?
1: That is an excellent question. In terms of systemic oppression, I'm going to kind of attack your question backwards. Fighting systemic oppression usually comes from other fronts, uh, from organizing that people are doing against capitalism, basically. Anti-fascism is kind of an emergency measure. It's kind of like political firefighting um fascism exists to reinforce that oppression on all fronts so in a sense we're kind of combating the oppression when we do anti-fascism but only in the sense that a firefighter is pushing back against urban decay by trying to keep a fire from consuming all of chicago right the um real combating of systemic oppression can only happen through the dismantling of the state, through the dismantling of the police and the courts, the dismantling of the capitalist and imperialist system as a whole. Um, so the TLDR of that is you have to basically be an enemy of the state, be fighting the, fighting to tear down the American lie, both at home and abroad. In terms of strategies we use, um, Anti-fascism is a multi-front process, right? It usually starts like, hey, we're going to hit up this venue and let them know that they're platforming fascists and the community doesn't like it. Uh, We're going to boycott this bar. Uh, We're going to inundate this bar with phone calls because they keep hosting Nazi bands. Or we're going to write letters to the editor So that the community knows that this organization that's calling themselves patriots is actually the worst kind of patriots, like the kind of patriots you don't want moving in next door. A lot of anti-fascism happens from the couch. We have people who just record as much as they can find of what fascists are up to and keep it in a spreadsheet. We have people who just go around photographing fascists at events and putting it into uh, encrypted file dumps. That part you can't do from the couch. Um, The parts that you can do from the couch are the easiest parts to get people engaged in. Now, the challenging part is getting people to come out and throw down (laughs) when all of that other shit doesn't work and the time comes to throw down. People don't want to get in trouble. People have all these ridiculous ideas that punching Nazis makes you just as bad as Nazis. you know. The one of the biggest obstacles we face is when the people hosting the event have the wrong idea about anti-fascists and have the wrong idea about police. Um, using Wadsworth as an example, we were lucky in that. Aaron Reed was glad to have us. We were facing an obstacle in that Aaron believed the police were going to protect and serve like they are allegedly supposed to do. Sometimes a venue doesn't want any anti-fascists. Sometimes they'll be like, oh, you Antifa rabble rousers, stay home. You're just as bad as the fascists and you're going to cause a scene. Um, When that's the case, we just show up anyway and don't ask their permission, and they almost always thank us later. Um, I have been to many an event where we were told not to come. We came anyway. We saved their fucking necks, and they thanked us and asked us to advise their next thing. Um, I've been to a lot of events where the the organizers were actively against us. we were coming out and saying, you radicals go home. Um, I think one of the biggest obstacles we face is the liberal leftist dichotomy that has liberals believing that leftists and anti-fascists are just like the other side of the coin of extremism. Another big obstacle that we face is people misunderstanding what fascism is and how it works. A lot of people think you can stop fascism by voting for the blue guy instead of the red guy. That's not how it works. Historically speaking, voting never stops fascism. I could go into tons of examples. If I do, I will soapbox all day. Um, a lot of people believe that fascism comes out and call itself fascist. A lot of people believe that fascism is gonna look just like the movements of the past. And a lot of people don't understand that the Proud Boys are fascists, because they deny that they're fascist. They don't understand that fascist movements are always obscurantist, that fascist movements kind of, they just lie. They straight up lie. They have in-group message and out-group message, and they're willing to lie to accomplish their goals. Um, To give it a TLDR, I think the ignorance of the general public about how our political system really works and how fascism really functions in relation to capitalism. That and queer phobia, you know, a lot of people just take one look at me and they're like, man, you're five foot two. You were assigned female at birth. There's no way that you could have any idea what you're talking about. There's no way that you could have any experience fighting fascists in the street. Um, I'm protected by double jeopardy on the Wadsworth situation. I can't get into a lot of other shit I've been doing. Suffice to say, um, people who fuck around with me find out and have found out and will continue to find out. But I have trouble getting even seasoned anti-fascists to take me seriously because I'm fucking tiny <laughs> and because trans <trans-androphobia> is real. <laughs> Uh but you know we power through and I've kind of reached a point ever since this shit went public with Wadsworth, I've reached a point where like I'll meet people and they have heard of me and I have a reputation and they'll be like, Oh shit. I imagined you'd be taller. Uh okay, tell me what to do.
0: That is hilarious. Um I'm not gonna lie, when I did saw you on the call and I saw you in person. I thought the same thing. I, I mean this in the less offensive way I can. I don't know how to put it, but I thought I definitely, when I saw you in person, I was like, holy shit, I thought he would be taller.
1: <laughs> no, I get that a lot. And like, I've learned I learned say- to interpret it as a compliment. I do think it says something about like our society's perception of size and masculinity and strength. Um, but on the whole, like if my reputation and the way I carry myself has people expecting a much bigger dude, that's that means they've built up an image of me in their head that is larger than life. And uh that's good. That means my deeds speak for themselves. There you go. So let me um
0: now ask you, you know, you, you share how you how you join the anti-fascism uh, and groups like that. So what do you recommend for people who want to get involved in anti-fascist movements? but um, are not able due to you know physical stuff, um, due to disabilities, other issues, mm-hmm. um, they may not have the transportation, they might not be able to walk and stuff like that. How do you recommend for them to get involved and what are the best strategies?
1: Yeah, so if there's a physical barrier to participation, say you walk with a cane or you are homebound, there are still ways to get involved. Uh, there are people who monitor police scanner traffic during these events. There are people who just archive info on fascists and collate the data and comb through it for relevant info. There's always a way to get involved. And the vast majority of the work is not on the ground. Um, You know, you have your maintenance workers basically who make sure the fire code is up to snuff. Then you have the firefighters like me who come and put out the fire. We really need more people Well, we need more people to do both. But if you're somebody who doesn't want to, you know, dress up like a ninja and go pick fights, I mean, I shouldn't say pick fights. I don't start fights. I finish them. Um, But if you're not somebody who wants to throw down and finish fights, there are tons of other ways to get involved. Uh, You can coordinate ride shares. You can give people rides the day of. Um, You can do... Public relations stuff. In terms of how to get involved, that is the hardest part. Because anti fascists in the United States are understandably a very paranoid bunch. Um, you know, the legacy of COINTELPRO is still with us. People are very concerned about getting infiltrated by bad actors. If you want to get involved with anti fascism, your best bet really is to join some kind of leftist organization some kind of community defense organization, and just keep showing up. Make it clear what you're about. Make it clear what your values are. And when you hear about fascists organizing, do something about it. You know, if you're in a place where there is no anti-fascist presence, become that presence. You don't have to call it anti-fascism to do anti-fascism. For example, I had a conversation recently with a young lady who is going to a small community college. I won't say where. It's a small campus. Patriot Front has been recruiting on the campus. She wanted to know, how do I get started doing Antifa shit against these guys? I told her, keep track of where they're putting their agit prop. See if you can spot them. See if you can get footage of them. You know, dox them, out them as fucking fascists. Because there is no action against fascism that is not justified. Um, ruin those motherfuckers' lives if you can. The other side of it is call a meeting. like Call a campus meeting. Don't, you don't even have to call it Antifa. You can just say, hey, this is an open public meeting for concerned citizens because Patriot Front is on our campus, and that is not a good thing. So let's have a meeting about it. And if there is no anti-fascist presence on your campus and you do that, boom, now you are the anti-fascist presence. Good luck. You have a circus to wrangle and a ton of clowns and monkeys, but uh, it's better than sitting around and doing nothing. It's going to be drama. It's going to be work. You're going to be tearing your hair out most days and wondering, why the fuck did I get into this? Uh, But then you'll have those days where you get to mace a fucking Proud Boy straight in the eyes and throat, and it's all worth it.
0: Absolutely, and you know, talking about this, um, I don't think, um, this is like a question, real quick. So January sixth, you know, they were celebrating, um, the proud. I don't know if to call her a proud boy. Was she a proud boy, proud lady? I don't know exactly. Um, she was um, a
1: QAnon fanatic. Ashley is Babbitt
0: is her name.
1: Ashley Babbitt. yeah.
0: Fuck her and may and may she be burning in hell. Um, so you know, you were part of the organizing for that. Um, the anti-fascists
1: uh, show up in there. You put it on your social Part media. of it. People I put it up. all together. People... I got the intel. I brought the intel to the community. I said, here's what we're going to do. Are you all on board? And it fucking worked. <laughs> this lady, Dawn Moody, uh, the one I was talking about who has been involved with Bikers for Trump, she has like a ton of different front orgs for all her fascist bullshit. Short lady, megaphone, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep, I remember. Um, that. Yeah, she and her buddy Carrie Brost, are like two cheeks of a fascist ass. They organize together. They move together. They planned this thing, claiming, "Oh, it's a memorial for Ashley Babbitt." And uh, I guess it's their holiday now to celebrate their failed coup. Um, one, these people don't know how a coup works because if you don't actually seize the means of production and the, the mechanisms of the state itself. You're basically just having a tantrum in the halls of government and making a mess. Um, anyway, they've decided it's their holiday, um, so yeah. I just called up everybody I knew and was like, "Hey, you want to come fuck with their shit?" I know. And they, used to,
0: they, they took our Latino holiday. That's regularly uh, Three Wise Men's Day that Latinos celebrate. That's like. Their holiday January 6th. So I was like, fuck now they're now the Trump the Trump supporters are taking our holiday days. Is that
1: the <laughs> is that the celebration where the um like the reenactment goes door to door and people like sing a song and get turned away? So where... that
0: it, no that one is uh Christmas Eve. That's how they celebrate like Christmas Eve.
1: Oh okay. so they like
0: they they knock and they call it a paranda which is pretty much like they go with instruments and kind of like sing and whatever. Um they have the so I think in English it's called epiphany, if I'm correct. I don't know exactly. Um, January 6th, it's like three wise men supposedly like come and deliver their gifts to Jesus Christ. Like they give gold to a goddamn baby, whatever. Um, so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, to me it's more like tradition than even like the biblical part of it at this point. But, yeah, I was like, shit, now that the mega uh, people are taking our holidays. Man,
1: but... I had no idea that that was a celebration. No, yeah, it's
0: America. Don't really like. It's not as much as in, in the American area as it is in Puerto Rico. I think Puerto Rico celebrates it more than any other place. So
1: uh, it sounds like a holiday that would be hard to commodify, and Americans only like holidays that can be <laughs> commodified and sold. It is very hard. I mean, the day
0: before January five, kids go outside around like five to seven p.m. and pick up grass to leave for the camels, for the wise man uh and then you get gifts so you pretty much get gifts on the 25th and you get gifts on the 6th so you get two sets of uh christmas kind of celebration gifts So i don't know i kind of liked it when i was a kid i got two gifts for no reason like hell yeah
1: (laughs) i sang an opera when i was in college called a mall and the night visitors that is just a story about the three wise men bunking at house, like at some peasant household on their way to see jesus and they make friends with a little boy and take him along, and he's like one of the little musicians. It, it, it's a cute show. Some of it doesn't hold up. There's some weird racial commentary in there that does not need to be there, but it's an interesting opera. It's by Minotti.
0: That's good to know I do I do. I'm part of a uh, board for an opera um, group in Cleveland, just recently started, and they chose me to be part of their board, so
1: I'm going to send you the title perfect I will um, look at that after this so, so let me you ask do, you now. believe it or not I used to sing the role of the mother <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. now dad I want a video off
1: <laughs> I actually don't have any I barely have any video of my performances because you know it when you perform as much as I used to it just became old hat and I kind of wish I had saved more because people don't believe me when I say like Oh, yeah. I played Tevia's wife, Golda, in uh, <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof a bunch of times. I played the daughters in Fiddler on the Roof another time. I played the evil sorceress in Dido and Aeneas. Like, nobody believes me. This is, this is amazingly cool. This is like a fun fact
0: that I didn't know, but I'm like glad I know now.
1: I'll send you that other opera to Dido and Aeneas. It was actually the first opera written in the English language. And there is only one named male role. It is the hero Aeneas. The composer Purcell wrote this opera to be performed by a girl's finishing school. He basically wrote this for a school to perform and they made the janitor play Aeneas. <laughs> so the part is like tiny. My God, poor poor
0: man. He just had to like, on top of cleaning the school, have to practice for this shit. <laughs> I know right? horrible for that poor man, but
1: sorry, I'll to, let
0: you bring it forward you have, you have to do it for the art, so let me I bring it forward to you actually with performance and stuff um when did um Captain Leif like iron leg started when does this, <laughs> this became <sighs> a thing
1: yes, uh, so that I debuted uh Captain Leif Iron Leg and unanimously declared myself pirate king of Ohio. uh pretty much right after I took my plea deal. I understand there have been some rumors that I started dressing as a pirate to make fun of a particular individual who shall not be named. I just want to assure everyone that this is entirely true. And I never intended it to like become an ongoing kayfabe, but when I started this gag, You know, I already had a bunch of pirate clothes tucked away because I was a theater kid who never threw anything away. I really intended it as a short-term gag, but then the right-wing reactions online were just hilarious. Like, all the Proud Boys and all these other right-wing stalkers who have become obsessed with me, including um, coveralls, have been like, oh my god, this guy's mentally ill. This guy thinks he's a pirate. The transes are identifying as pirates. They're not sending their best. It's fucking hilarious. They don't understand how humor works. They don't understand irony on any level. And I am perfectly happy to just pump that fence between kayfabe and reality for as long as it continues to drive them insane. Uh, so yeah, I'm a pirate. I'm a fantastic pirate, and I've always been a pirate. I'm the captain of my own ship. And in the event of civil collapse, I am going to uh, terrorize the Great Lakes.
0: That sounds amazing, we take it with you. <laughs> so let me add, you know, with this pirate thing, actually I wanted to ask, you have mentioned in the past to meet and people have even supported it. like you have had like people text you, send you gifts, uh, like I think one of your hats was also like a gift yeah. which is gonna be the hat using the thumbnail of this uh, episode was a gift. So like people have, people have also become part of like the pirate thing with you.
1: Yeah. Well, queer people right now really love pirates. Pirates have been a really potent symbol for queer people in modern times. Sailors have always kind of been associated with gay dudes because for a long time, if you were a dude who wanted to partner up with other dudes, the smartest way to live was to have a profession that set you apart from most of society. Being a sailor being a pirate, a cowboy, pretty much anything that got you out of the main society into a homosocial space with its own rules and its own social mores. That was how you existed as a queer. If you look back at the history of pirates that we have at least written down that has been preserved, there were a lot of individuals involved in piracy who we might describe as flamboyant gays, who we might describe as gender non-conforming. We don't know how these individuals understood or expressed their own identities per se, but queer people today very much see ourselves in these historical ficture, uh, figures and in you know the fiction of pirates. I think what is most potent for me at this moment and what is most potent for a lot of people who have reached out to me about it is that in a lot of the United States, they are literally making it illegal to be trans. They are making it virtually illegal to be queer. They want to push us out of public life. Some people are even calling for the eradication of what they're calling transgenderism. The, the rhetoric is really just Weimar shit. It is Nazi propaganda repackaged for fools with Twitter. So. A lot of people are feeling like their very self, their very identity, is making them into an outlaw. So, people want to see themselves in some kind of positive outlaw. Now, obviously, we know pirates were doing a lot of cruel and brutal shit. They were, you know, holding people ransom, killing people, uh, sinking ships. Um, they were also In some cases, freeing entire ships worth of enslaved people. In some cases, pirates were costing companies and crowns, the modern equivalent of millions of dollars, the piracy that we think of when we think of like the golden age of piracy was really coming into being around the same time capitalism was coming into being. We see the beginning of the transatlantic slave trade or what is sometimes euphemistically called triangular trade, right? And with it, the birth of the first joint stock companies and the first capital, the first capitalism and the first capital that the ism was built on, that capital was produced by selling and enslaving the labor of human beings from Africa. And then the goods, from that were being transported back and back and forth and back and forth. It was the perfect environment in which maritime piracy could thrive. And in some cases, pirates established whole republics, short-lived and kind of messy, but they were experimenting with egalitarian forms of self-governance in the spaces from which the state had retreated. You had Nassau port, for example. Both the English and the Spanish, who were the two major maritime powers at the time, they kind of pulled out in the same way that the Roman Empire pulled out of Britain. And in that power vacuum, the fucking pirates moved in, and they made a little republic for a while. And uh, it didn't last long, but it was really fucking cool. And I guess the TLDR is pirate history is queer as fuck. Pirate fiction is queer as fuck. Queer people are both literally and figuratively being made outlaws. So... We might as well enjoy it. I the mean, more like, people reach out to me.
0: Sorry, uh, finish, finish up. I'll yeah,
1: sorry, finally finishing the thought. I, I know I'm a long-winded guy. The more people reach out to me and say that the pirate shtick is funny and or meaningful, the longer I'm going to keep doing it. And I'm having a blast.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, I was going to say, like, you mentioned two things and got me immediately thinking of the gayest, like, singing group, village people. They yeah. sing in the Navy, which in is the Navy. it's the gayest song that there could ever be. Um, I mean it literally is about it. Um, and then they had in the YMCA, they literally had different groups of like dressed as different men that are mm-hmm. regularly the ones that are around other men.
1: Yeah, every in that character in head, the
0: first thing that came west,
1: the village people. Yeah. Every character in the village people is a, an archetype that features prominently. In macho, mask on mask, gay fantasy. I think if they change up a couple of those archetypes, maybe do a Viking instead of a Native chief, or something like that. You know, maybe a leather biker instead of a cop. Maybe a pirate instead of a cop. Maybe you know we need a revival of the village people. Uh, other singers, hit me up. But <laughs> yeah. And the YMCA, let me tell you, for a while, in that weird interim space where gay men were starting to hook up, starting to talk publicly about their identities, but gay spaces had not yet really been established, the YMCA kind of turned into that gay space. And no matter how hard the official YMCA tried to stop it, dudes kept hooking up and fucking at the YMCA, dudes kept organizing at the YMCA.
0: And I mean, then you have a song that is like the gayest song to them. So yeah, I, I agree. So let me, um real quick, I wanted to ask you, um, I had some emails while, um, you know, in the past we recorded an episode and we had to put that backwards for a little. And I, had an, and I had an email um, to me and I regularly don't do this. I regularly don't ask questions that are sent by people But I thought this question was hilarious and I wanted to just drop it in. Um, It is on you to answer. You don't have to answer, I want you to know. Um, The individual, I am assuming, it's um, the person that we refer to as coveralls, I think you refer to them. Um, Coveralls, yes, coveralls. Uh Um, Yeah, coveralls has been
1: like, totally obsessed with me.
0: So I will tell you that they did not that name you in this uh, specific email, so I was very surprised. Mm-hmm. And it says, Who was slave at Wasworth? There were no pirates there. She they, well, they'd say she. Um, I'm by the way, I'm quoting, mm-hmm. I'm not uh so she well, is you, open about being trans. Read it verbatim. Read it uh, verbatim. She yeah. is open about being trans. So who was yeah. slave before late? Why do you yeah. went what Why do you go FTM? So as you mentioned before, you you actually <laughs> gave me for the first time this in my head. I wasn't even ever aware <laughs> of the this term as this that I'm not very aware of the uh, acronyms. But female to male, I think it's the FTM that you told me earlier. So
1: yeah, it's kind of an outdated term. Not everybody likes it. Some trans people embrace FTM, which means female to male, or MTF, which means male to female. Some people resent those terms. I think for a lot of people, MTF and FTM have taken on the connotation of porn categories because, well, when you look up trans porn, that's usually how it's categorized. And uh, have you ever heard anybody say, do you have your own porn category or are you privileged? I have not, but holy shit.
0: Do I have my own porn category? I don't know. Is there a one?
1: There is. Yeah. If you go on Pornhub, there's a whole category for Latinx people. There is a whole category for Black people. There's a whole category for specific situations involving people of color and queer people. I'll tell you what. And I think I mentioned this to you. About
0: Pornhub in the past. I don't know if it was you or someone else, but Pornhub uses the colors in the Proud Boys use. And the primary the first ever They
1: do. I thought Pornhub used orange. I don't So the them first
0: the first ever Proud Boys flag was actually a slight color of the Pornhub logo. They had like the same color. So Pornhub pretty much went publicly under uh Twitter. I don't know if you I follow Pornhub on Twitter. I'm gonna be very honest about this. They make the most hilarious <laughs> tweets after Wendy's. Um and they chair, then they say, like, our most viewed this year was trans. Like, our most viewed searches were trans. And the Proud Boys searched this. And this was, like, the emerge of 2020 when the Proud Boys were trying to, like, stop all this. Like, BLM and be racist. So Pornhub pretty much mm-hmm. made fun of them. Because the Pornhub logo used to be their slight yellow than they were using. And Pornhub changed it to a darker orange because they were rebranding right at that moment.
1: Yeah, that I'm happened. looking at their front page right now. And... I could have sworn it was always this orange. That being said, I'm not really a Pornhub guy. I prefer to just like meet people and have sex. There you go. Um, but well same, same, same. But um, I,
0: you know, like that's the one thing. Like they made that flag, and so when I used to go to events during 2020, I used to carry a sign that says, "Have you washed your transport today?" And I used to just hold it behind like Proud Boys with their flags, pretty much. It's interesting you should mention that because
1: something I have learned in the course of doing this anti-fascism, as my anti-fascism has become more and more focused on defending queer events, because that's what the fascists are fixated on, right? We go where they go. I have found that transphobia and trans fetishism form a Venn diagram. And that Venn diagram is actually kind of a giant circle.
0: These guys
1: who are obsessed with drag story times are frequently trying a little too hard to get into the drag story time. You know, these dudes cannot distinguish between a performance of femininity and a presumed solicitation of sex. These guys when they think of a person being trans, they automatically think about people's genitals. They automatically start thinking about people's intimate bits and they fetishize our very existence. That's why a lot of them like on the ground level, I could go on forever about like the intersections of transphobia and antisemitism in the national socialist consciousness and why this happens from the top down, but on the ground level, A lot of these dudes just think of us as a porn category. They think of us as inherently automatically sexualized, automatically like a fetish. They think of us existing, being open about our existence. They think of this as like basically the same as, you know, people dressing up in leather puppy masks and spanking each other in public on the subway. Um, which apparently is happening in New York now, which is an interesting phenomenon. Anyway, the the Venn diagram of transphobia and trans fetishism is a giant circle. And it's mostly dudes who come up to harass these events. There are a few women, but it's like 90, 95% men. And I guarantee you, I... I just speculating of course but i guarantee you there are like little brunch parties of ladies who are married to proud boys sitting around at home every time these events go down being like why are our husbands obsessed with drag queens why are our husbands obsessed with drag queens
0: i you know what i don't i i don't i don't disagree i think that there are I think that's the
1: reason. So It's funny you should mention the village people, too, because when the Proud Boys bring out their stereo, they play a lot of village people. They play a lot of sea shanties. They run around with fucking yellow bandanas in their back pockets like they don't know that's a piss kink signal. They are some of the most homoerotic motherfuckers. They some really of these are. guys are... There are a lot of mask-for-mask-only gay Proud Boys. And I don't know if you use grinder. But when Proud Boys are rolling into town, it is really funny to pull up Grinder and just see who is in your vicinity. There are a lot of Proud Boys on Grindr.
0: Another thing, they also use the same colors as Grinder.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> I have never opened the app, but I know the logo on top of my head. It's like the little cat looking thing. They definitely have the same colors as Grinder. Yeah. a cat, right? It's like a cat figure kind of thing. It's like know. a mask
1: and the mask, like mask is kind open. of shaped like...
0: Okay, it goes up this way. Oh, okay. That I always think it's a cat. I don't know. I I have a cat, so I guess everything that looks like a cat is a cat to me. Yeah, I so, do too. Another question that I got in that email says, "Life <laughs> is taking credit for January sixth. Uh-huh. Did she watch it live because she wasn't there?" <laughs>
1: I did watch it live. I watched Krusty the Crusader try to do a bunch of push-ups and watched his arms give out after about four. I don't know how much weight that Chanmail adds, but if I could only do four push push-ups, I would not be trying it out on the statehouse lawn. <laughs> um, yeah, I am taking credit because I sat in their telegram. I collected the intel. I brought the intel to the community and said, hey, go fuck up their shit. And uh, yeah, I watched it live and uh, I ate chips. Well, I did it. And then I got another email that
0: says, who does Leif think the, the Vikings were? The, Northern, the Northman Vikings colonized Europe and became the Normans. Normans are European white who became crusaders, colonizers, and all other white things.
1: That's an interesting idea. I wouldn't expect them to know that the concept of whiteness as we know it today would, would have been completely foreign to the people that we call vikings um viking i could soapbox about this for ages viking really describes an activity and a profession more than a people um among those people you certainly had some people who were settling in normandy and becoming normans i'm sure some of them you know as they converted to christianity did eventually become crusaders um there is tons of scholarship out there about white supremacist white supremacist ideas being projected onto the people that we call Vikings. Um, I'm not gonna, you know, give them that thesis, but I'm sure they're already all over my YouTube. They can look at the playlists that I have about that if they would like. Um, you know, I could soapbox about the gender nonconformity that we see in various sagas i could soapbox about how the concept of whiteness as we know it today was basically invented to justify the transatlantic slave trade i could soapbox about the fact that you know viking age peoples were so weird and clannish they they were you know they would look across the water and be like oh those people on the other side of the fjord are weirdos we don't fuck with them when you know to the outside they would be indistinguishable to us um but you know trying to explain academic concepts of history and of how history is weaponized uh to you know people like coveralls who i know is probably writing these emails um or actually that was a crusader question wasn't it that was probably crusty the crusader now i'll tell you what crusty the crusader and coveralls have become my biggest fans um but
0: there is one more question there. And it says, well, I don't know how much this is a question. I think this is more of a statement. It says, uh, Bergen, basement, pirate, grab. The pirate what? thing, I have no idea. It says Bergen. Uh, Bergen?
1: Like yeah, the like, city
0: of Bergen? I have no idea. Like, I, that's what I'm assuming. Basement, pirate, grab. The pirate thing was a mistake. Bring back the commie thanker.
1: bring back the commie tanker that's funny at the end of my two-year probation i'm sure i will be bringing back the commie tanker it's fun they should mention the commie tanker because in the first email they asked about who was leif at wadsworth right well they answered their own question i was the commie tanker i was the five foot tall tank who maced their dudes and made them cry they know who i was they're welcome to visit laauson.com and take a look at the photos of me that they took that make me look fucking hot in my opinion. Um, those photos they took of me have gotten me laid so many times over. I cannot tell you how many people have been like, dude you you were the the that dude at Wadsworth you were shit can this not just be a one-time thing can can I, or can I have your number? Wow, man, that's a good photo of you. <laughs> if they even knew, man, I would have spent the rest of my life doing anti-fascism anonymously. That was my goal and my intent, but uh, they built me a platform, so I'm going to keep standing on it.
0: That is amazing. So let me um jump in now that we were talking, you know, pirate and the, um, the attires. So cosplay, it's a very common uh, thing now everywhere these days, um, Mm -hmm. from like Comic Cons to whatever, I've never been to one of those, but those conventions, um, you know, I myself once dressed up as a very shitty Alan Scott, which is like the former Green Lantern or the Justice Society of America for a protest, Um, not very proud of that, but whatever, Um, so is the pirate thing, like, something you do public, like, um, is it, like, or is it just an alter ego, like, Superman and Clark
1: Kent, or, you know, I don't know what I, you mean. I'm a literal, actual pirate who does piracy all the time. I'm on a boat right now. No, in all <laughs> seriousness, whether or not I bring the pirate out to events, whether or not I, like, show up as Captain Leif Leg, is really going to depend on the event. You know, there are going to be events that call for the commie tanker, and, uh, if they like me better that way, that's great. Two years has given me plenty of time to set new lifting goals, plenty of time to set like new body weight exercise goals. I've already beat my push-up and pull-up record. They're really gonna regret giving me two years to uh, work on myself, I'll tell you that. Um, I, I think More lighthearted things, all in you all seriousness, I could totally see myself like reading to kids at drag story things dressed as a pirate. I don't know that it's technically drag if I'm pirate you know, story hour. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I could totally see myself doing like a pirate. I love story that hour. idea.
0: I think that idea would be amazing. A pirate story hour. Like hell yeah. Let's see like all the proud boys. Um as actually as we were uh talking I got a message and pretty much says in the blood tribe it's marching in Nashville today. Like oh, as the a, Blood like, Tribe? Yeah they were like marching about two hours ago they were in Nashville mm-hmm. and they still well, it says 46 minutes ago, the message that I got sent from the person. So, huh.
1: yeah, so their, their, their group Reddit is really to- interesting because like they're the most extreme, right? They're the least marketable. A lot of these fascist movements have figured out we need to be crypto fascist, right? If we march out here with swastikas, being honest about the fact that we think trans people are a Jewish conspiracy, that turns people off. Um, but the Blood Tribe is really interesting. They have much tighter OPSEC than the other groups. They have much tighter requirements to become a part of the so-called tribe. Um, their leader, Pullhouse, is an ex-Marine. I imagine he knows how to throw down, although I don't know what they train those Marines to do other than munch on crayons in their MREs. Um, their strategy, according to Pullhouse, is to show up, give people PTSD, and leave. Um, I understand they were trying to start some kind of compound recently and pull got really big mad when the community said, you don't have a safe space here. I understood he also got chased out of a planet fitness. I don't know why, but the idea of a blood tribe, neo-Nazi working out at a planet fitness is so fucking funny to me. It's like, it sounds- my God, that is
0: fucking hilarious.
1: I love Planet Fitness because it is Mick Jim. I want to work out with other people who do not take themselves too seriously. Um,
0: exactly it. So let me uh, now ask you, you mentioned earlier uh, specifically that you are queer, pagan, anti-fascist. Uh, you yeah. mentioned all of them together in one sentence. And I'm pretty really <laughs> sure you went into this before, but um, to ask you again, like, why mention them all together? Why? Um, why do they all come together into one?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, like I mentioned, anti-fascism is basically my whole personality. I am also a Norse pagan. Uh, you know, a lot of idiots will go, oh, you think you're a Viking. Well, Viking is an activity. And the Viking Age was kind of the nail in the coffin for that form of polytheism. Um, Norse paganism is a living tradition. Uh, it's, you know, being adapted and lived By many people who are under no delusions of being Vikings. Like honestly, if you're calling yourself a Viking, you're either delusional, lying, or have committed war crimes, right? Myself, I'm a Tearsman. I that is to say, I'm devoted specifically to the god Tear, who I have experienced to be a god of justice, not law, because as anti-fascists know, justice and law are very often two completely separate things that have nothing to do with each other. Um, I won't get into the mythological interpretations of it, but the TLDR is I consecrate myself as a human sacrifice to Tyr every single time I go out and do anti-fascism with the understanding that if I live, I will celebrate my victory to his glory. And if I die, hopefully I will feast with the gods. So far, I have had pretty much only victory, hail Tyr. And the fact of the matter is, fascism is opposed to anything queer, and in this particular time and place, anything not Christian. Fascism in Europe, in the what we call the West, has historically allied itself with Christianity. You know, in Germany, we saw them kind of reinvent their own form of Christianity. In Italy and Spain, we saw really tight alliance with the Catholic Church, with their fascist movements. Fascists today are largely Christian nationalists. They want to see the nation reshaped in a Christian image, in what they believe to be a biblical ideal. This biblical ideal that they hold is fundamentally anti-queer, and it's also fundamentally anti-polytheist. As a monotheist, you know, thought form, their fascism rejects the idea that there can be more than one God. They reject the idea that there can be more than one truth. I call myself a queer pagan anti-fascist because I'm kind of a triple threat. I know how to throw down. I do not fear their God. My God is older and much, much cooler. And one of them has a big, big hammer. Uh... Their god got nailed to a log. They can do the math. And, you know, as a queer person, I'm subverting multiple hierarchies there. Historically, fascism going all the way back to Mussolini and all the way back to the Nazis, they have classified queerness as what they would call a Talmudic abstraction, a separation of the physical from the ideological. It's, man, I could really get into a soapbox here. Um, If you visit my website, leifotson.com, and click on library, there's a couple articles that dig really deeply into the anti-queerness aspect. The Eradication of Talmudic Abstractions um, by Joni Eliza Cohen is a really revealing article. It gets into deep detail about why queer people are a threat to fascism and to capitalist hierarchy at large. Um, My approach to anti-fascism is very much informed by my internal moral compass, which tells me that queer people deserve to exist without apology. Um, And the more radically they push down against us, the more they try to crush us with that boot, the more we're gonna rise. I really, really enjoy the fact that I clearly scare the shit out of them. Otherwise, they wouldn't go to such lengths to ritually denigrate me in their little chats. Um, And it is a ritual. It's like an affirmation ritual to soothe their wounded egos. As a pagan, my approach is very much one rooted in the mythology that has come down to us through the ages. Um, Much like the gods who gather their army for the doom of the powers knowing that they're going to lose that conflict anti-fascists also have made a decision to fight fascism no matter what even if it's a losing battle because we would rather be dead anti-fascists than be motherfucking fascists and we do this with the knowledge that even if we fall one if you fight to fall sometimes you can live forever and two If you die for something that really matters, you don't even have to die for it. If you fight for something, if you live for something that really matters, even if we don't see the downfall of fascism today, even if we don't see the true, complete queer liberation that we wish to see in our lifetime, it's enough to be a part of making that happen. None of the gods who participate in the final battle of myth survive it, to see the new world that comes after right this idea of ragnarok is not like a christian apocalypse where time just stops it's a new beginning i don't literally believe that i'm fighting ragnarok obviously this is a metaphorization um just as christianity was intended at one point to be a metaphorization the tldr is pagan mythos the story of tear binding the wolf uh the story of ragnarok concept the cosmological concept of the eternal return all of these give me courage and meaning i kind of feel bad for atheist anti-fascists who feel like you know if they fall fighting it all just ends that must really suck oh
0: thank you that 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 explained that part completely to me. So I hope that it explained it to everybody else. Um, I, by the way, I
1: love the website. Um, a lot of information. And Thank you. Photos, it started, started as a joke. Mason. One of my friends was like, oh, dude, you're you're a niche micro celebrity in a tiny niche micro community now. You need your own website. I, I bought you the domain of your name. I was like, what? You bought me LeifOtzen.com? What the fuck am I going to do with this? Nobody makes a website anymore. <laughs> But I've been having a lot of fun with it.
0: There you go. So, with that, let me ask you: uh, What's next for Lave? Um, what is next in your activism journey? What is next for uh, Captain Lave Iron Leg? What are What is coming up next?
1: So, in this moment, I'm doing what I call um, public anti-fascist education. I am, you know, as you can see on my website, I've just turned it into a resource for information and reading about anti-fascism, putting together playlists about anti-fascism, goofy little informational videos. I'm trying to educate as many people as I can, get as many people on board in an informed way as I can. I'm having a blast meeting people from all over the country, all over the world, talking to them about fascism and anti-fascism. And uh, I've got Basically two years to do that and to make myself into even more of a tiny commie tanker.
0: I know now you have the chance to create both alter egos and even better. I personally
1: don't see it as an alter ego. It's all just um, the kayfabe and the reality have become indistinguishable for me at this point. And you know what? Great. I've got a crazy stalker who thinks that i don't know that all of these ridiculous emails are one guy um I mean coveralls is so obsessed with me he even started emailing my lawyer pretending to be other people being like oh leif is a is a celebrity activist and you should represent him pro bono because because he's the goat <laughs> Oh, I love when older people
0: try to use the uh, Gen Z lingo and they fail at it. Um, It's all very
1: obviously coveralls because he always deadnames me with, you know, the same spelling. He always phrases things the same way. He's even got one account where he's pretending to be a Muslim, but he didn't bother to like research how his whole bit on this one account is that he's some kind of radical Islamic militant who hates queer people but he didn't do any research about how people like that talk about their religion. He just says the same shit. He always says about Jehovah substitutes Allah and expects it to land. And I'm over here like, man, this is, this dude is fucking obsessed (laughs) and I'm lucky. He's an idiot (laughs) because if he wasn't a fucking idiot with all this time on his hands and all this obsession, I'm sure he could do some damage. You know, I've got this other Crazy stalker who thinks he's a crusader, who in some ways probably is a crusader. You know, I'm sure he thinks that he is fighting for some kind of tradcath, Christo fascist uh, (laughs) dominion on earth. And okay, fine. I wish that all of the fascists were that open about who they are and what they believe. Um, And my point is, my life is so surreal that the only thing I could possibly do that makes any sense is to just make it even more absurd and surreal.
0: (laughs) That's the best way to do it. I think, I mean, they, they are, I don't know how much they're enjoying the uh, the pirate, but they're not enjoying it. So it's
1: based on what this dude has been emailing my lawyer. I think what they're enjoying the most are my shirtless selfies. Cause they will not shut the fuck up about my shirtless selfies. And I guarantee you, like, I'm not even going to go into that because they're so, I'm going to bite my tongue before I say the thing I was about to say because they are so litigious. But, um, yeah, they're, they seem to be uh, really enjoying this masochistic little game they've made of following my social media and complaining to my probation officer about my free speech. And uh, that's great. I... Don't think they can really tell where the pirate shtick begins and reality begins and ends and vice versa. And, uh, that's great. That's the goal.
0: Absolutely. So with that, I wanted to, you know, thank you for joining me. Um, all these, all the sources and like things that you have mentioned will be on the show notes as always, people will be able to see those, um, right. Once this uh, podcast is out, You have um, social medias, right? I see Instagram, TikTok, uh,
1: Instagram,
0: and YouTube.
1: Yeah, Yeah, one thing I want to jump back to really quick is the Viking thing. Fascism depends ideologically on mythologizing a point in the past. For a lot of these fash, the Viking Age is an era which they have mythologized. I've got a whole playlist on my YouTube all about that bullshit and about how it goes all the way back to Ricard Wagner. It's a real ride. Uh, I don't think they could wrap their heads around it, but if you heard, if you're listening, and you heard the Viking question and went, oh, these fucking idiots, um, that playlist might be up your alley. Check out my website. I've got a massive reading list for anybody who wants to dig into this and make it their whole fucking personality like me. (laughs) Some of us has to, right? Absolutely. Um, Most of all, check out the article, The Eradication of Talmudic Abstractions. It is on my library page at leifotson.com. Follow me on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Every Sunday at 8 p.m., I'm doing a live theory stream where we're going over some anti-fascist theory and having some really engaging discussions. And uh, I also have a Discord for... You know, for people who I've vetted, who I'm pretty sure are not fascists, um, you are welcome to join my Discord and watch me stream movies like *Inglorious Bastards.
0: (laughs) So with that, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I will put all the social medias and all that on the uh, show notes with more uh, resources and stuff for people to see, and all the uh, show notes will be there with um, some other stuff. So... I don't know. Is there anything you would like to add?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, I could talk all day about fascism, -fascism. anti-fascism. If you're watching my social media and you're wondering, is this a joke? Is he serious? Is he doing... Is this ironic or is he trying to get arrested? That's what I want you to wonder. If you are... Um, you know, having fun composing gag emails. um, That's great. The more these fucking fascists focus on me, the less they're actually getting done. Um, Get involved in anti-fascism. We are living under Weimar conditions and anti-fascism is the motherfucking solution. Okay. If you have wondered while you were sitting in school, man, what would I have done? in the years leading up to World War II. What would I have done when the Nazis started coming for queer people and coming for Jewish people? Whatever the fuck you're doing right now is what you would have done. But it's not too late to get up off your ass and do some motherfucking anti-fascism unless you're so fucking tiny that you can't measure up to a five foot dude with no balls. Join me in the streets, motherfuckers may the wind always be in your sails and may your enemies tremble at the sight of you
0: absolutely wow that was a very pirate uh statement there i love it, love it. again you know thank you so much for joining me at thank you so much for listening to this episode of politico with juan callao diaz if you're looking to learn more about the queer activist community you are more than welcome to visit our website at politico pod where all the show notes will be available and Lay's personal website will also be there. So if you're interested, again, that's politicalpod.com You can also visit us on Instagram and leave a comment on all of our posts or talk to us directly there. As always, Politico Juan Collado Díaz is a Spotify original from Anchor.fm and Chuck Norris approved. Right, Chuck? Chuck Norris approved.